0: It is with great joy that I greet you this morning. Thank you for the phenomenal gift and the invitation of availing this opportunity for me to join you in your sacred home. The gift of an invitation is something that we should never take lightly for indeed Jesus invited us into the church. I want to thank you all for your hospitality as I was with you this morning, as we made promenade down to wish our dear sister, Phyllis Wheatley, a happy birthday. And now I rejoin you just with so much joy and so much grace, knowing that God has gifted us. Thank you. Thank you to my dear friend, Nancy. I don't know what we are going to do as she moves on. I'm putting myself in your presence because I don't know what we are going to do. To my dear friend, June Cooper, to these phenomenal ministers, seminarians who are here, and to this amazing cohort of musicians behind me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And to Lauren. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know how nervous we get when we see all of these beautiful faces looking at us and yet you had the courage to stand up here and to read the word and to read it brilliantly, to read it beautifully and to do it so well. Well done. The task that I have before me is one that I really appreciate. I usually don't preach on Mother's Day. I, I, I don't. I, I don't. Um, we have a phenomenal assistant pastor at our congregation uh, who knows that on Mother, Mother's Day, she's going to bring the house down. Matter of fact, she brought the house down on Easter, so I don't just let her preach on Mother's Day. It's not about me letting anybody do anything anyway. But oftentimes, it's not necessarily a word from the Lord from me on Mother's Day. But I'm grateful today that there is a word, and I pray that you will receive it. The passage that Lauren just beautifully read, 2 Timothy, is a passage written by Paul to his son in the ministry, Timothy. Timothy. And I want to encourage you, perhaps invite you, to think about the fact that in the Bible, there are moments where there's what I call biblical course correction. There are moments where we, in our socialized and acculturated moments, have kind of normalized patriarchal and male chauvinistic thinking. We haven't done it intentionally. It's just kind of the way that things have been. It's the way that we have kind of engaged the world and there are moments when we read the bible with a shall i say a sense of curiosity or read the bible in the way that i believe that god's nature comes through that helps us to do a little bit of biblical course correction paul loves timothy paul loves timothy as a spiritual son In this passage, Paul helps us to understand the importance of generational relationships. Paul is older than Timothy and sees him as somebody who he's maturing, who he's nurturing, who he's grooming in the faith, and yet Paul does a couple of things here in this passage. One, he says it's a gift for him, Paul, to be able to pray for Timothy. It's a gift. And it's a privilege for him, the elder, to pray for the younger. For him, the mentor, to pray for the mentee. For him, the groomer, to pray for the one whom he is grooming. It's a gift and a privilege. Paul even says that when we are together, I feel great joy. Anybody here feel great joy when you are with a beloved? Even if it's not your child or a nephew or a niece, but somebody you deeply care about, their presence brings you great joy. Paul even writes that when we're separated, there are tears that flow because I miss your presence. And yet the Bible established here, and Paul writes this, that although I see myself as your spiritual father, I didn't teach you the faith. Paul goes on and says that your deep faith comes from your grandmother, Lois, and your deep faith comes from your mother, Eunice. In our patriarchal lenses, in our male chauvinistic lenses, we would assume that Paul is taking credit as a spiritual father for deepening and developing the spiritual maturity. And yet Paul does the exact opposite and honors these two phenomenal women. Let me tell you about these two phenomenal women who had such deep faith and yet in our biblical narratives they are under recognized, they are undervalued, they are under appreciated. They clearly had powerful ministries because here Paul who has traveled the land Who has influenced the influencers who has taught the teachers who has groomed the preachers acknowledges their ministry and yet my dear sister nancy they were unordained yet my dear sister june they were perceived to not have a call they were women of strength women of courage and yet they stood as hidden figures within the culture that did not allow oneself to appreciate value and validate them. As a matter of fact, the culture attempted to tell these women when they can do what they can do, what they can do, what they can do it, how they can do it, why they can do it, and perhaps even why not, you can't do. And yet these women prayed even when they were not allowed to speak. They gave God glory and praise through their worship even when they were not allowed to be worship leaders. They, Lois and Eunice, remind me of another mother of deep faith. Another mother of great courage. Another mother whose wisdom and brilliance, whose anointing and appointing demystifies how we as humans may even understand her contribution. Born in the middle of the 18th century, most were placed at around 1753 on the Western coast of the continent of Africa, somewhere probably in the Senegambia area. This woman of deep faith was sold into slavery and ends up here in Boston, Massachusetts, somewhere around 1761. You do the math. She was sold into the Wheatley family and she was branded by the name of the transport vehicle that old slave ship called Phyllis. Phyllis Wheatley, 10 years later, came to Old South. Baptized here, became a member here, and served here. But one could suggest that her deep faith was already seeded even as she was baptized here. One has to think about the traumatic torture of being robbed from one's family, physically removed from one's family, to be put on that transport ship without family and taken to a foreign, distant land where you know no one and nobody knows you and then robbed of your embodied experience, your culture, almost your humanity. And with that, she wrote, she wrote. Scholars who study Phyllis Wheatley are perplexed because when you read her writing, you don't get anger You get faith. When you read her writing, you don't get bitterness. You get a deep sense that God is, that God loves, that God cares, that God can rehabilitate, that God can restore, that God can repair, that God can reconcile. You don't get this sense of nihilism. It will never be okay, that it would never work out. What you get is this deep yearning, a passionate love for people, even the people who may have hurt you. At a certain point, Phyllis Weekly was brought before a tribunal of some of the greatest air quotes, citizens of Boston. I use air quotes so that we can all just think about whether we agree or not. I'm not trying to persecute or judge. I'm here to share the word of God, not to condemn. But these were folks like John Hancock and the governor at the time of Massachusetts and the lieutenant governor of Massachusetts who declared that this woman, this slave woman, This black slave woman, this black slave woman from Africa surely could not have mastered the English language in order to write as profoundly, provocatively as this. And so they held her and made her defend her writing. I can only imagine having stood a master's thesis defense and having stood oral uh, 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 examinations, having defended my doctoral thesis uh, dissertation, I know what it is to be poked and prodded intellectually. And yet I can't imagine this woman having to sit in front of all of these distinguished greatest citizens of Boston to defend her own writing. And yet, oh, Sister Phyllis had the Lord on her side. There's an old saying that we say, you tell the truth and you shame the devil. Sister Phyllis told the truth. And unanimously she was found that it indeed was her writing. And people had to begin to acknowledge that. One more thing here, as one who was writing in the moment of slavery, even as a slave, she still found opportunity to bless others, to write elegies about significant individuals who she probably didn't agree with, and yet she honored them. She blessed them She did not condemn them. She did not make them feel bad about themselves. She did what I imagine Jesus does all the time, which is leaves everybody's dignity in place. As I read the Bible, there is no moment in the New Testament account of Jesus where Jesus made anybody feel bad about themselves. There's no moment where Jesus called anybody out their name. There's no moment where Jesus evicted anybody. There's no moment where Jesus transported anybody. There's no moment where Jesus closed the door. He always held the door open for any and everybody. And I think that that's the spirit. The spirit that Sister Phyllis Wheatley can teach us. Even now, that's the spirit that reflects the brilliant grace of a mother. Phyllis Wheatley didn't have the privilege of raising children into their adulthood. But what she did do was she birthed the whole possibility of publishing black creative expression. She birthed an opportunity that black women, even as slaves, had something to say. She birthed a courage that says that even though I am a slave, I believe in equality and I believe in justice and I will fight for it. She birthed this in a way that she wrote and honored non-black People, non-black slave women. She honored individuals because she believed in what Jesus believed. She believed that as a person comes to what I'm calling biblical course correction, that one can change their mind and change their heart. Old South, I applaud you today. And my applause is not so much about Phyllis Wheatley and it's not so much about Nancy Taylor, but it's about the fact that you have the courage to do biblical course correction. That you have the courage to do things that may not be seen as popular until they are. You have the courage to pursue with great intention, with great courage, what does it mean to come into the house of God where everybody is welcome? You have the courage to receive one another and learn to love one another, even if you may not understand. The Bible is clear that love and Understanding don't always have to go together. Jesus said, love your God. And I'm going to do a little word play here. Love yourself. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Because there's something about loving yourself. That when you see that you don't necessarily need other people to have a vote in your life then you'll love other people the same way. Love God. Love yourself. And then love each other as your neighbor. God bless you, Old South. God bless you, Old South. God bless you.